From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. Hello, wishing you a happy Pesach. Uh, my name is Rabbi Ari Solish. I'm live from Atlanta, Georgia, and looking uh, very happy to be streaming um, on the uh, Roar Jewish Learning Institute's Facebook page, um, both locally here in Atlanta and around the world. So tonight's topic is Sefirot 2020. Um, understanding the cosmic and human forces that shape our lives today. And the goal of today's conversation is to get a to get a better understanding of what the Sefirot, what the divine emanations are all about, and what they mean for us on a very personal level. It's a very powerful conversation. It's one of the uh, fundamental ideas, one of the fun- fundamental teachings of Kabbalah, uh, Jewish mysticism, as well as uh, the teachings of Chabad Hasidic philosophy, is as it pertains to the Sefirot, the 10 divine emanations and energies that flow throughout creation. These energies are not only the building blocks of existence as we know it, but they also um, they also have a major role in the character of human beings. The Torah tells us in Genesis and Bereshit that human beings were created in the divine image. What does that mean? What kind of image does God have? If God is imageless, God has no image, no form. So what does it mean that we are created in the divine image? So the commentaries explain, the, Kab- the Kabbalists, the commentaries explain, that it means that the human soul possesses the very same 10 powers or 10 sephiro, 10 energies that God utilizes in crafting, creating this world that we know and love. And so the goal in this session is to better understand these cosmic forces, but more importantly, I think, to better understand how these forces relate to our lives today. And when I say today, I mean specifically in 2020 and specifically in the time that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves in a most unusual time. Um, I, I, I can't speak for everybody watching this, but everyone that I know is is, uh, is on lockdown. When I say lockdown, I mean in quarantine or shelter in place under specific guidance to be safe and healthy by staying at home. And so the question is, what can the Sefirot, what can these divine energies and what can the character traits of our soul teach us about how to live maybe a little bit more in a healthy fashion as we uh, as we traverse this unique challenge of our times? All right. There's another element here as well, and that is that the time between Passover and Shavuot is a time known as Sefirot Omer. It's a time in which we count the Omer 49 days between the holiday of Passover, Pesach, and the holiday of Shavuot, the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. In ancient times, uh, in the temple, in the holy temple in Jerusalem, they would bring an offering, an Omer offering. Omer was actually an amount. Uh, An Omer of barley was brought. The first grains of the harvest were brought at the temple on the the day after uh, the first day of Passover. And that signified the beginning of a 49-day count leading up to the holiday 
of Shavuot. Today, we don't have the temple, we don't have this offering, but we do the count. And the 49 days are not just meant like calendar days that we mark off on, on the calendar, day one, day two, day three, or uh, yeah, day one, day two, day three, counting up to day number 50. But rather, they're meant to be days of introspection, days in which we work on our inner character. As we know in Kabbalah, there are seven primary emotional character traits, each of which is comprised of strands or, or slivers of the other seven. Seven times seven is 49. So this time, not only because of global events, and not, but also because of the, the time that we find ourselves in the Jewish calendar, it's a, it's a particular attuned time to explore our character and see what it is, really look under the hood of what makes us tick and see what we can do perhaps to make ourselves even more of a mensch. So there are many ways in which a person can embark on the journey of character development. So many, many methods explore the problem and then seek to arrive at a solution, which is really approaching the issue from the outside in. We see a problem and we're gonna to try to get to the heart of it or try to solve it by working inward. Kabbalah doesn't begin with problems. It begins with a template. Kabbalah provides a template for a good human character. The 10 sefirot, the 10 soul powers, are the template of a healthy human soul or a healthy human character. So by looking at this template, we can arrive at a better understanding of what it means to be in good spiritual, good character, good inner health. I'm going to hold up uh, in front of my screen a depiction of the 10 sefirot. Now, these are energies, and of course, since they're energies, they don't really have an image. Um, nonetheless, nonetheless, they are depicted in various forms, usually with circles, <laughs> usually by uh, various circles with lines drawn between them showing their interconnectedness. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, so I'm gonna hold up an image in front of the screen. I'm hoping you can see this. This is an image actually taken from a JLI course uh, one of the course books called Soul uh, Soul Maps, and here we have a depiction of of ten, ten the ten sefirot, not including Keter, which we'll get to in a moment. Ten sefirot divided into two categories: cognitive and emotive. As you'll see in the picture, we have Chachma, Bina, Dat. It always works right, left, center. Chesed, Gvura, Teferet, Netzach, Yesod, and Malchut. These are the 10 Sefirot, 10 energies that we're going to explore tonight to get deeper diving. Okay, so the first thing you need to know is that the typical translations that are attributed to these Sefirot are, in my opinion at least, are not really accurate. They're translations of words, but not really good translations of concepts. So tonight the objective is to really understand the concepts, what these energies are and what they mean for us and how we can leverage them to become healthier human beings. It's not about understanding the translation of a word, but really understanding the content of the message. Okay, another point that I wanna mention is that you noticed in that chart, and I'll hold it up one more time, there are three intellectual attributes, seven emotional attributes, um, which can be further subdivided, which we'll speak about in a moment, but we see immediately right off the bat that there are intellectual 
faculties that we have. We possess the ability to know and we possess the ability to feel. But the ones <laughs> that are about knowledge, about knowing, stand above in the depiction of the spherot, they stand above the emotions, the ones that are about feeling. And herein lies the first message of this, of this uh, Kabbalistic uh, constellation of spherot and soul powers. And that is that we are meant to temper our emotions with our thoughts or with our mind. We're meant to control how we feel or to modify and modulate our feelings based on our cognition and awareness of what is truly going on. We're not meant to live instinctive, reactive, emotionally out of control lives. We are designed per this incredibly powerful soul template. We are designed by design to have our mind control and rule over our heart. Not that we don't feel, but that when we feel in a way that might be perhaps unhealthy, we're able to take the tool that is our mind and calm ourselves down and get ourselves to a, to a healthier intellect, a healthier emotional place, again, utilizing our intellect. This is the hierarchy of the human condition. And when I say human condition, I mean the human uh, soul power condition. The intellect lies above the heart in order, and the truth is it's even true in the, in the human physiology, within the human body, when a person is standing upright, their head is positioned above their heart, higher than their heart. And again, it's a message about the calling, but also the ability that we have to control our feelings with our mind. I will tell you, this speaks directly to the time that we times that we find ourselves in a time when many many of us might feel anxiousness and nervousness and fear and we might feel perhaps some anger some some resentment some bitterness all sorts of emotions and they might all be valid emotions the question we have to ask ourselves is what is a healthy emotion and what's an unhealthy emotion and really i'll let you and i for ourselves decide what is healthy what is unhealthy but if we decide that there's a feeling that might be a legitimate feeling but may not be the healthiest feeling to dwell on well kabbalah teaches us we have the power to radically shift that emotion and move it out of our of our um, conscious selves or feeling conscious feeling selves and replace it with a different emotion simply by changing what we focus on with our minds. I will speak about this in a few minutes when we come to the soul power, the faculty of that. But for now, just understand this general notion. The mind, the, the, the intellectual soul powers stand above the emotional soul powers to teach us the important lesson of our ability and our calling to regulate our emotions with our mind. So with that out of the way, with that introduction, in mind, let us jump into a, de a somewhat detailed uh, account of the 10 spherot. But I want to begin with one of the powers that's actually not on this sheet. As I showed this to you before, and I was looking to see, if you noticed before, I was looking to see if, uh, if Keter was on this list, and it's not. This has 10 soul powers, but there's one that actually stands above it all, and that is called Keter. Keter means literally crown. But in our context, Keter is desire, will, 
and or purpose. It's the human capacity to truly desire something and to feel a calling. This is the very first power of the soul. It's so sublime and so deeply embedded within the soul that that's why in some charts it's not even counted as one of the ten spherot because it's so intertwined, it's so part and parcel of the fabric of the soul that it's not counted as one of the ten powers of the soul. It's almost part of the soul. It's not a not necessarily a power of the soul. And yet tonight I'm going to speak about it in the context of a power of the soul. What is Keter? Keter is the ability that you and I have to really want something. Not just to superficially want something, but to deeply desire something. Now, we can use that desire for good or for the opposite of good. That is where free choice comes in. But Keter is the ability that human beings have to truly desire something and to have that desire almost take over our entire being to the point that we become focused single-mindedly on pursuing that desire. Now that can be a destructive force, but it can also be a tremendously, tremendously constructive, tremendously powerful force for good. And let's focus on, on how to leverage Keter, desire and will for good. So Keter means that I recognize what I want, not maybe what I've been doing, but what I really want. So I'll give you an example. With uh, the current state of the world, many people find themselves, as I mentioned before, at home. And many of us find ourselves with perhaps a little more time in our hands, time that we can use in many different ways. But one way that we might use the extra time is to ponder and to really think, what am I doing in my life? And am I doing the things that I really know or, th or that I'm really passionate about doing? Is my life, is my day-to-day -day life involving activities that speak to my true soul desire? Or am I doing things that are secondary to what I really want to do? And I'm just doing them because I need to do them or because I happen to be doing them. This moment in time allows us perhaps a moment, allows us a little bit of space and time perhaps to take a moment and to reflect, maybe a few moments, and reflect on what is it that I truly want out of life? What is it that I truly want for myself? Where do I really see my gifts and talents uh, making an impact in this world? And then making the decision to pursue that as opposed to some of the more superficial things that we often find ourselves doing. So Keter is really about writing a human or a personal mission statement. What am I about? What's my why? What's my wherefore? What is my purpose? What do I want to do? And when asking this question, it's also important to think about not just what we want to do or not what we want to do, but what is called upon us to do. So it's not only something or or a, a conclusion that we come to based on maybe our selfish notions of what we want to accomplish but it's also a conversation that happens through the lens of what do i feel that the world needs me to do that no one else can do 
that I am called upon uniquely by God, by life, by the universe to accomplish. That's another powerful form of the Keter meditation. What do I, what do I want to do? What is my passion in life? And what is my purpose as defined by a confluence of my talents, my opportunities, as well as the needs that are around me? This can be a powerful tool for exploration as we spend our times indoors a little bit more and maybe not doing all of the secondary things that we usually do, like sitting in traffic and commuting. We might take it for granted. We have to go to work. We have to commute. But now, no commute from the bedroom to the living room. It's an easy commute. So with all that extra time on our hands, maybe we can think, you know, what, what am I spending my time with? What are my activities really focused on? Keter reminds us that we have deep-seated drives and the world has deep-seated needs for us and God has high expectations of us. So what do I want to do with my life? That is Keter. Let's move on to Chachma. Chachma is the first of the intellectual soul powers. Chachma is typically translated as wisdom, but like I said before, the translations aren't really what we're after today. It's about concepts. Chachma is intellectual discovery. Chachma is the ability that you and I have on a grand scale to be open to learning, to be open to discovery. It's the humility that we have to realize that we don't have all the answers to realize that we don't have all the information, to realize that we don't have all the wisdom and knowledge that's out there, to realize that there's more to be learned. One of the greatest gifts of youth and one of the greatest gifts that adults can carry with them from their youth is curiosity, being open to ask the question and being open to receive the answer. You see, as we get older, sometimes we think, yeah, we know everything that needs to be known. We have pretty much all the things that we need to figure out, figure it out, and everything else is stuff that we've already heard and disagree with anyway, or we agree with it and we already know it. But either way, we don't really need to listen. Chachma is the human capacity to be open to new information. That is a priceless gift. It's the gift that children naturally, we as children, naturally exercised. As we get older, it's a little bit harder. That muscle of openness kind of closes. Passover, for example, reminds us of the power of being open, being curious. That's why the question or the questions play such an important role in the Seder. The child asks four questions. And one of the beautiful things about the four questions in the Seder experience and the Passover experience is that the parent doesn't immediately shut down the questions with answers saying, great questions, and here are your, you asked four wonderful questions, here are your four answers. That's not how it works. I, we launch into a narrative and we explore the story and more questions come up. And do we ever actually give a concrete answer to the child's questions? No, at least not in my version of the Haggadah. And yet we give this, the most profound answer. The answer is the key to freedom, the key to the human capacity to be free, to be human lies in asking the question. The questions themselves are the answer. What does it mean to be free? It means the ability to ask questions. Look at any dictatorship. The first thing they take away is the ability, is the ability to ask. No questions. This is the way it's going to be. 
So questions are a powerful tool for opening up, opening up our own minds, evoking curiosity and a willingness to willingness to learn something that we didn't already know. This is Chachma. Chachma is intellectual discovery. Chachma is humility. It's knowing that we don't know. Human beings often think that they know everything. It's unfortunate if a person thinks that because we don't. And there's wisdom found everywhere around us. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avot says, Ethics of Our Fathers, it says, Ezeo Chacham, who is wise? Halomed Mikaladam, the one who learns from every person. It doesn't say that the wise person is the one who has the most information. The wise one is the one who asks the most questions, the one who's curious to learn. Look at the Seder. Look at the Haggadah. In the Haggadah, there's a wise son. And what does the wise son say? He doesn't give all the answers. He asks all the questions. What are these rituals, those rituals, and the other? The Chacham, the wise son, is asking the questions, not giving the answers. To be wise doesn't mean that you know everything. To be wise means that you know that you don't know everything. As we find ourselves in states of various degrees of isolation, we can ask ourselves the question, how open are we to really listening and being open to learning from those around us? Oftentimes, in a situation like this, when we find ourselves around loved ones that we've been around for a while, we think that we know everything that they're going to say. Yeah, we, we know how they think. We know what they're going to say. As King Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, nothing to, nothing to learn here. So Chachma reminds us that it's very important, that it's very important that you and I be open to the experience of learning. Learning from everything around us and learning from everyone around us. Everyone around us has something to teach us. So let's, let's be open and let's be curious and let's listen. Chachma is also about listening. Are we listening to what the other person is saying? Or do we just hear what we think they're saying, which is different than really listening? So that's Chachma and that's perhaps how we might leverage Chachma to help us and inform us in our current uh, situation as we find ourselves today. Let's focus now on Bina. I'm going to pull up the chart one more time. Opposite of Chachma, across from Chachma on the other pole, the left side is Bina. So Bina is typically translated as understanding, but Bina is much more than that. Bina is really an intellectual attitude. So Chachma is openness to new ideas. Bina is how we understand those new ideas, how we assimilate those ideas in our mind. Everyone thinks a little bit differently. You can present the same facts in front of two individuals, and, and it will mean that those same facts will mean completely different things to those two people. And the reason is not that the Chachma is different, not that the openness or the actual information that came into the, the new information was different. No, that might have been the same, but it's the Bina that's different. You see, Bina is our intellectual attitude, how we understand what we understand, how we learn what we learn, how we process information. And everyone does that a little bit differently. So Bina influences tremendously what we know, because it's not just what we know, it's how we know it. And Bina is what determines how we know it. Everyone has a different form of Bina. How we understand something 
determines how we will react to it. Is this a good thing or is it a terrible thing? That is all that is very, very often going to be based on how we understand that thing that we're processing. So I'll give you an example. You have a child, a toddler who's in a crib and the toddler for the first time learns how to climb out of the crib at 3 a.m. And the, 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 the child climbs out of the crib and comes over to your room and wakes you up in the middle of the night. So before this, they were sleeping and they couldn't get out of the crib. And now that's it. You're not safe anymore. <laughs> your, your sleep is not safe. At any point in time, the child might, might arrive and, uh, and, and wake you up from your slumber. So how do you view it? What happened is objective, right? So what happened is the child climbed out of the crib. That's the objective information. And that might be the chachma discovery. Like that's the new information that you just learned because it just happened. But the bina, that's where the magic happens. And that's where it gets very particular. How do you view what just happened? Is it a disaster or is it a tremendous thing? Right? Is it a terrible thing that just happened? Right? Can't believe it. Child just climbed out of the crib. The crib is not, uh, it's not, it's not going to keep my child, um, you know, in, in that space. Now the child can go anywhere at any time. Or do we look at it as a positive? Oh, my child is a fantastic climber. Look at that. My child can, uh, can, can climb out of uh, even a crib at this young age. It all depends on how we look at it. You could have a child who is in school, a student who's riling up the class, kind of getting the class uh, um, all energetic and maybe not exactly the way the teacher wants. The teacher can look at that child as a ringleader of some sort of terrible, uh, you know, uh, 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 teacher could look at that in a very negative way and say that that's a negative thing pulling the other students away from what the teacher is trying to do. Or the teacher can look at that child as a natural leader and say, oh, you're a leader. How can we leverage that? How can we leverage that for something positive? So instead of getting angry at the child, you might actually have a conversation with the child and say, I noticed what kind of talents you have in, uh, in, 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 in inspiring others around you. So let's let's talk about how we might use that for something positive and not necessarily in a way that tips your hand, but in a way that really empowers this this student, this child to uh, to make a positive impact with their with their talents. So is it a bad thing or is it a good thing? It all depends on your opinion. How do you understand this that just came to mind? This new thing, this new idea or this new information that came to you, this chachma that came to you is objective. How do you understand it? That is where Bina comes in. The same thing obviously applies to the situation that we're in. We can look at it many different ways. And obviously, um, I can't, I'm not speaking about the loss of life and the other tragedies that have, uh, that have come as a result of coronavirus. But what I am speaking about is uh, maybe some of the other elements, some of the other elements, the inconveniences. You know, we could look at them as inconveniences and, and things that are bad and negative, or maybe we can have another attitude, Bina's attitude. Or maybe we can adopt a different attitude and look for the positive, look for the silver lining. 
Not that that makes it good. But if we can adopt a positive Bina spin, because Bina is spin, if we can adopt a positive Bina spin, then life is a little bit more enjoyable and we can be a little bit more productive. It's a choice that we can make. What will our Bina look like? Let's move on to Dat. That is the third of our intellectual powers and the third of the intellectual spherot. And that is right in the middle between Chachma and Bina. So what is that? That is typically translated as knowledge, but for our purposes in this session, I'd like to refer to that as the power of intellectual focus. What are we focused on? There are so many things that we know, so many pieces of information that we know, the knowledge that we have under our belts and, and in our minds. The question is, though, what are we focused on right now? What is our intellectual focus? And that, is, that more than anything else will determine how we feel. I mentioned before that our, our emotions can be guided and really usually are guided by our thoughts and by what we're, what's in our minds. And what is the key to that? The key is that. That in Kabbalah is referred to as the key, the mafteach, the key that unlocks the emotions. Because that is not just what you know or how you know, it's rather what you're knowing right now. And what you're knowing right now speaks most immediately to your mood and your feelings. And it brings things into a much deeper connection. I'll give you an example. For months, for months, I think we all heard about coronavirus. But for months, it was somewhere else. It was someone else, someone else's problem. And then slowly, slowly, it got closer and closer until it arrived in our own backyard. And then it became real. And then life changed. So when does life change? When do we, when are we motivated to change? And when do we feel the feelings that come along with that change? It's when things move and shift from being theoretical to being practical, to being immediate. It's when it's no longer someone else's problem, but it's my problem. It's our problem right here, right now. That is like the focus ring on a camera where you have images. And as you adjust that focus ring, various items either uh, become blurry or they come into sharp focus. As long as we're not focused on something, we might know about it, but it doesn't hit us. We don't feel it and we don't act on it typically. We know it, but it's another thing that we know amongst the many things that we know. That is the ability not just to know, but to focus on something to the point that it becomes real and present and immediate. And that's when we really feel, and that's when typically we take real action. So in our times, that is, we've seen that play out when we knew something, but it wasn't in focus, in sharp focus, and then it's in sharp focus, and then we feel, and then we act. So this reminds us of the powerful tool that we have to, uh, to leverage that to really change and affect how we feel and what we do.
This can be used, of course, for good and, and for the opposite. What we choose to focus on has a tremendous impact on our emotional state. So let us choose very wisely. The next element, the next sphera, the next soul power that we're going to focus on is the first of the emotions, the emotional soul powers, and that is chesed. Chesed is typically translated as love. Um, I would like to add on the, uh, the notion of giving. So chesed, love, is a state of feeling close and a desire to get closer, but it's also the desire to give to the other. The energy flow of chesed is from inside, outside. So it's flowing from within to outside. The energy, if we were to depict the energy flow of chesed with arrows, it would be an arrow that originates within and is pointing out toward another or toward something else. Oftentimes, we use the word love in the exact opposite way. A person says, I love that person. And what they mean is they love what that person does for them, which is not love at all. Or it's not love for the other, it's self-love. And that's not the same thing as what chesed is. Chesed is not self-love. Chesed is loving someone or something and giving toward that. It's the energy flow from inside, from within to without, outside the person. There's a classic story that's been told countless times about a, a rabbi in the yeshiva who once saw a young man eating lunch with gusto, and he was eating fish. And the rabbi turns to this student and he says, young man, are you enjoying the fish? And the young man says, I love fish. And the rabbi says, you don't love fish at all. If you loved fish, you would be taking care of the fish. You would be feeding the fish. You would be protecting the fish from harm. You wouldn't be consuming the fish. You don't love fish. You love yourself and you love the taste of fish, but that's not loving fish. And so we have to be careful. Sometimes we say we love someone. And what we really mean is we love how they make us feel. And that's not the right energy of love. Love is pointed outward, not pointed inward. It's not selfish. It's selfless. It's not taking. It's giving. And so, as we spend more time than ever, perhaps, with our loved ones, let's focus on the true meaning of love. Love is not taking. Love is rather giving. Love is not seeking the, what I can get from someone else or how I can use them for my own benefit. Love is simply the question, what does the other need? How can I give it to them in a way that is the kindest way possible? Love is about giving, and it comes from really caring about the other, not about ourselves. We should also care about ourselves, but that's not what we're talking about right now. Love is, I really care about the other. I respect them. I love them. I want to give them. I want to take care of them, whatever that, however it manifests. But it's about giving toward the other. And like I said, in, in, in today's day and age, it's more important than ever to really integrate this message in our lives as we spend a lot of time around loved ones, no one wants to feel used by someone else. No one enjoys feeling that their entire existence is viewed by the other person as existing for that other person's benefit. That's not a good feeling at all.
So let's give the other person what they want to feel cherished and valued and loved and respected and give them unconditionally. That's what chesed is. Oh, and by the way, we have that ability because it's imprinted within our soul. Let's talk about the next soul power, which is gevura. Standing opposite chesed is gevura. Gevura is the opposite. Gevura is not giving but withholding. It's not an open hand. It's a closed hand. Chesed is, we might depict with an open hand giving, and gevura with a closed hand. Now, gevura is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. If you've ever been to a restaurant and uh, you've ever been poured a glass of wine, it was probably a good thing that at some point the waiter stopped pouring and didn't keep on pouring as your cup overflowed and as it spilled all over the table and your clothing. So it's probably a good thing that the waiter at some point withheld the giving and stopped giving and closed the hand, so to speak. It's good that a teacher knows the capacity of the student's mind and is able to teach on the level of the student and not give too much to confuse the student. It's good for a teacher to know when to give, but also when to withhold. And it's good in relationships to also know when to give and know when to withhold, to know how and when to set boundaries. Boundaries are incredibly important in healthy relationships, whether they're between parents and children, between husbands and wives, or between friends. Boundaries are priceless. So we need to give, which is chesed, but we also know when to withhold. And typically that withholding is a process of a judgment, known in Hebrew as a din. It's, a, it's, uh, it's done through a process of discerning something about the other party, either their capacity, the capacity for them to receive, or what is objectively healthy, or my capacity to give, and putting an end, kind of putting closure on that, on that, uh, on that chesed giving. So chesed is giving. On the other side is the gevura withholding. Now, when we judge someone, it's possible that that can lead to a uh, a very harsh look at the other, which is why gevura can manifest in a very ugly way in a very negative way, as anger. Gevura, which is this idea of judging, discerning, and withholding, could devolve into anger, rage, God forbid, violence, right? It's negative action against the other. So because I've judged and I found the other to be unworthy or lacking or whatever, I get very angry. I get very judgmental. I get very, um, whatever, you can fill in the blanks. That's not healthy. That's not good. Maimonides says that when it comes to the character traits, we should always try to find a middle ground, you know, in various, uh, uh, um, you know, between, let's say, giving and withholding, we should have a middle ground. We should be generous, but, you know, not, not, to, the, not to our own detriment. But when it comes to anger, we should run the other way, says Maimonides, because anger is destructive. It's a fire that destroys us and destroys the other. Fire is gevura gone rogue. F- Sorry, um, anger, not fire. Anger is gevura gone rogue. And that's not a good place to be in. So we have to make sure that our gevura, which is that judgment, 
not get too harsh. Be objective, but not too harsh. Set boundaries, but not too harshly. This is why we have to draw strike a, a balance between chesed and furah, which takes me actually to the next soul power, which is teferet. So what is teferet? Teferet is somewhat sometimes translated as harmony or beauty, but it's also compassion. Why compassion? Compassion is literally the hybrid or the blend of chesed and gvur. Chesed giving is undiscerning. Chesed giving is, I respect you, I value, I love you, I'm going to give. How much do you need? How much can you take? How much can I give? That's not chesed's problem. Chesed is pure giving. Gevura is discernment. Gevura is a judgment. No, I can't give you X or Z or Y or Z. I can't give you. It's not ABC for whatever reason. So you look at someone and you judge them unworthy and you say, I'm not going to give to you. Might be a little bit harsh, but that's Gevura. It's a manifestation of Gevura. What is compassion? What is Teferet? Teferet is a hybrid. It's having the discerning judgment of Gevura, but giving anyway like Chesed. It's looking at the other and saying, you know what? You're not in a good place, or you're not a worthy recipient, or you're not whatever it is. Looking at the other in a, in a brutally honest way, let's say. But because of our negative judgment, we're motivated precisely to give so it's a hybrid of the gavura assessment with the practical giving of chesed it's not blind giving and it's not harsh justice it's recognizing a truth but giving anyway why out of compassion sympathy because we've judged the other one to be let's say in a in a in not such a great state therefore Precisely because of that, we're going to give and help them out. And then we have a higher level of teferit, which is empathy. Not just sympathy, I feel bad for the other, but empathy. I really can empathize with the pain that they are going through, with the challenge that they are facing right now. And I can see and feel the anguish of their own soul as it, as it, as it um, struggles with its whatever struggle it has. And I'm motivated to give because I feel that empathy and I see that potential within the other. That is the ideal form of giving. Not giving blindly and not only and not, not just giving out of sympathy, but giving out of empathy because empathy is truly caring about the other on their level. And it means that when I give, I give in a compassionate way, a deferent way, a way that honors the recipient. I don't blindly give. I don't harshly withhold. I don't only sympathetically give because I feel bad about the other. I give acknowledging the humanity, the divinity, the beauty of the other human being. This drives the Jewish notion of tzedakah, of giving, where we're supposed to give in a way that lifts up the other and doesn't make the other one feel like, uh, like doesn't make the other person feel bad. The goal is to give in a way that empowers and uplifts the other, not in a way that makes them feel bad. So as we experience the challenges of the time that we find ourselves in, I think it's an appropriate message to think about. The idea of teferet is 
we're all in we're all facing various forms of difficulty but if we can get out of ourselves a little bit and think about the challenges that the other person is going through then we have a chance to not only just be sympathetic but empathetic and to truly wish and help them from a place of dignity and not from a place of shame to give in a way that shames the other is to give and to take. You've given, but you've taken their dignity. The goal is to give in a way that grants them their honor and dignity, that empowers them, that tells them that you believe in them and that you care about them, that you love them and that you honor them. And that is a tremendous form of giving and, and one that we can, each one of us, can find a way to give to someone else right now in this time. All right, let's move on. The next soul power that we're going to focus on is Netzach. Netzach is ambition. Netzach is endurance. Netzach is having a goal and seeing it through. I mean, how often do we take resolutions, a New Year's resolution, and it lasts a few months, maybe even less, a few weeks, maybe even less, a few days. Maybe it never got off the ground, but we had a good intention. So between intention and action, there's a critical step, and that is fortitude, ambition, endurance. It's the power that we have to see something through. We all have the power to see things through because we've all done things that required strength. Netzach is the soul's strength to see a project through to its completion, to not get sidetracked, to not get distracted, to not get discouraged by setbacks, to not fall into the potholes, but to keep on marching forward. That is Netzach. Netzach is tremendously important within the human psyche, within the human character, within our soul powers. It is tremendously important. Because without endurance, then all of our dreams, all of our goals, we just might fall short. In a time like this, we're reminded how strong we need to be. It might be easy for a person to give up on some level and say, well, you know, it's such a difficult time. That's it. Just going to give up on my hopes and dreams. It's important to have that netzach endurance. Yes, it's a challenging time, but you and I have the power to push and see things through. That is the uh, the incredible power of Netzach embedded in our souls, one of the ten Sefirot. Let's move on to the next one. Opposite Netzach is Hod. And Hod is the exact opposite of Netzach. Netzach is pushing, Hod is pulling back. Netzach is merging and hod is yielding to the other one merging netzach is having an opinion and a point and driving it home and hod is saying you know what i want to hear your point hod is stepping back hod is looking at others hod is not faced head down to the ground pushing, driving, running, accomplishing. Hod is smelling the flowers, appreciating the people in our lives. Hod is acknowledgement. 
Hod is related to the idea of acknowledging the blessings that we have, taking a step back, not doing, but stopping, and appreciating the gifts that we have, appreciating all of the blessings in our lives coming from God, coming from other human beings, appreciating our loved ones who are there for us, unconditionally, with love and dedication, appreciating the life that God has given us, appreciating every moment that we have the ability to take a breath and to live this wonderful life. Hod is, above all, appreciation and gratitude. It's acknowledging the blessings and feeling gratitude for those and the forces that have brought us those blessings. So while Netzach is thinking about single-mindedly, thinking about pushing forward and doing, Hod is stepping back and appreciating acknowledging and expressing gratitude. That is tremendously important. To say thank you to our loved ones, whom we're around 24-7 nowadays with the shelter in place. To acknowledge those that maybe aren't around us, but that have benefited our lives and continue to benefit our lives. To reach out and to express gratitude. Such an important concept. Such a divine concept, and one of the ten spherot, ten powers of the universe, and ten powers of the soul. We're now at the second to last power, which is Yesod. Yesod is literally translated as foundation, but the way we're going to understand it tonight is Yesod is connection. Because what is a connection? A connection is like a foundation. A foundation is not just putting a building on the ground. That's not a foundation. That's just the building on the ground. Foundation means that you dig a hole in the ground. And in that hole, you pour cement. And that becomes the foundation to build your edifice on top of it. First and foremost, the first step of a foundation is clearing space. The first step of any relationship. You saw it is about relationships and connections. The first step of any relationship is clearing space is clearing space within yourself to allow the other person in. And being open, being open to enter someone else's space that they've carved for you. It's about being vulnerable and honoring someone else's vulnerability. And it's that, it's that marriage of the spaces that we provide and being courageous and humble enough to enter those spaces in honest and perfectly raw ways, that's what creates relationships. So often communication and relationships can exist solely on a very superficial level. Even in some of the greatest forms of relationships, what I mean is some of the closest forms of relationships like parents and children, siblings, spouses, Right? Some of the closest relationships could sometimes settle to a very superficial place where the extent of the conversation is how was work? What are we eating for supper? What are we doing? Where are we going? Uh, what's, what, where's the vacation? Very superficial conversations. But what about the deep conversations? What about being vulnerable? What about sharing your deepest desires? Keter. What about sharing your deepest ideas? Chachma, Bina, Dat. What about sharing your feelings? Chesed, Gfura, Teferet. What about sharing your true and honest self with another person? 
That is Yesod. The power to carve space for the other, the power to be vulnerable, the power to accept someone else's space and someone else's vulnerability. When they ask you a question and they provide that opening, do we step in with our honest selves or do we put in our safe selves, our superficial selves, our protected selves, and keep the conversation completely surface? Yisod is the power that human beings have to truly open up and to be open to someone else's openness to truly connect. And that is one of the greatest gifts and something that we ought to exercise as we find ourselves, in many cases, very, very much around those that we love. Let's spend our times not just talking about the superficial stuff, but talking about the deeper stuff. This is a tremendous opportunity to connect on a deeper level with our loved ones. That is Yisod. And now we're up to the last sphera, the last of the 10 or 11 soul powers, and that is Malchut. I should clarify, there are 10 soul powers. The question of Keter is a question or a topic that we'll have to save perhaps for another session. But I don't want to say 11 soul powers because they're, they're clearly in Kabbalah. There are 10 Sfirot and 10 soul powers. How Keter is counted with that is another conversation. But let's refer to now the Malchut. Let's analyze Malchut, the last of the 10 Sfirot and 10 soul powers. Malchut is all about actualization. It's all about actual implementation. It's about actually doing it. Actually doing the Chachma, the Bina, the Dat, the Chesed, the Gvura, the Teferet, the Netzach, the Hod, the Yesod. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to know about it. It's another to do it. Even ambition. Ambition, we said, is the key to action. Yeah, it's the key, but it's not action yet. Malchut is action. Malchut means royalty, sovereignty, leadership. A leader is marked by action, not ideas. That's a philosopher. We have philosophers and we have leaders. Philosophers, they go over all the ideas. They ponder this, that, this idea, that idea, this, this option, that option. Sometimes there's paralysis by way of analysis, right? You can become stifled in action because of too many ideas. Malchut is about action. It's about getting things done. You know, the question's been asked, the, the famous puzzle. There were three toads sitting on a log. Two decided to jump. How many toads are on the log? You know what the answer is? Three. You know why? Because deciding to jump and jumping are not at all the same thing. You can decide from today to tomorrow that you're going to take that jump, take that leap, jump into the water, accomplish that thing, Heal a relationship, deepen a relationship, truly give and honor the other, create healthy boundaries without getting angry, be compassionate, be sympathetic, be empathetic, exercise your ambition, exercise your gratitude, open yourself up to another and allow yourself to be open to someone else's openness. You can decide to do all of those things, but not do it. Malchut is the unique human ability, the ability that we have to implement, to implement our ideas, our ambitions, our keter, our drive, our purpose in life, it's implementation. Implementation is nothing other than the implementation of a specific thing. So it's not a new thing. It's not a new flavor. 
but it's actualizing whatever flavors are embodied by the other powers. Which is why Kabbalah teaches that Malchut, less lamigame klum, it doesn't have its own energy, so to speak. It doesn't have its own flavor. It's like the moon, says Kabbalah, that reflects a light that's not her own. The moon reflects the light of the sun. It doesn't have its own light. But in reflecting that light, it has a tremendous power, bringing light to where light wouldn't be without it. Malchut is the same way. Malchut is our power to implement, to get things done, to decide, to be ambitious, but to actually implement it in the world of action. It's not any different than the other energies, but it's their implementation, actualization that is so profound. We live in a world of action. And we know today more than ever that you can have the greatest ideas, the greatest thoughts, the greatest feelings, but without actually doing it, it doesn't benefit the other. We could be thinking in our minds about the other person and wanting to call them, wanting to reach out, wanting to help, We can want to love, but it's not the same as actually picking up the phone, actually helping the other person. And so my final word of encouragement for all of us is that as we find ourselves in times, at least in my lifetime, unprecedented times of unprecedented challenge, let us recognize the gifts that we have, the divinely bestowed gifts of these 10 spherot, not only in the cosmic universe, but within ourselves. And let's remind ourselves that these gifts were meant to be used, not meant to be collected, or not meant to remain inside some sort of treasure box. They're meant to be used, to be spent, to purchase, to acquire, not selfishly. They're meant to implement in this world and make a real difference. And so this is a brief look a brief and somewhat detailed look at the ten spherot, understanding how these cosmic forces and human forces affect our lives today and how we might perhaps leverage them for tremendous good in our lives and the lives of others. I treasure the opportunity that we've had tonight to study together. I thank you for joining me, and I wish you only health and only blessings and prosperity, and only revealed good in your lives and in all of our lives. And let us say, Amen. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.